The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk about the defense against the Broncos from this last game on Sunday, and that's going to be a lot more fun than talking about the offense against the Broncos. I can tell you that. Uh, here to talk about it with me is our friend Jason Smith from Huddle It Up Films. Jason, how you doing? I'm doing really well. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for having me on. Good good draw for me this week. Yeah, of the two. You you uh, you definitely drew the long straw there. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're happy to have you. I need to thank our sponsor, Liquid Death, the water that will brutally murder your thirst. Uh, make sure to pick it up in the tall boy cans. They have some great flavors. They're also a very green 
environmental product. When you buy cans and you use them, there's a better chance they get, they're getting recycled than plastic, which I guarantee you is going to end up in a landfill. Uh, lots to talk about this week in terms of the ball game. A lot of ways, I think there's Tixie Air completely out of the wind, certainly doesn't even feel like a win with the Lamar injury and the other injuries that occurred during the game, of which, you know, there's some miraculous returns. You know, an Oscar given out. Uh, a lot of things that happened uh, with the injuries in this one. It was. And, you know, as we get healthy, we will get healthy. And we do have the benefit that other teams don't have as far as having a guy like Marcus Williams in particular coming back to the, the team. But, you know, as you go through the season, you're you're going to have you're going to lose people for stretches of time. And you're also going to have players that are going to play banged up like Patrick Queen with that that thigh bruise, that's going to hurt for a while. I mean, he may be able to limp around on it this week and get it ready and stretched out for uh, Sunday, but, you know, guys are going to get banged up. Their fingers, their legs, their knees, it's just part of football. Yep, and uh, good to see Isaiah likely come back from what we assume was a stinger. I never really heard anybody talk about an interview uh, or whatnot, but he, he looked like he was in a lot of pain on that field and, and didn't look like he was coming back. I thought it could have been a pretty significant shoulder injury. Yeah, Harbaugh actually said that, Ken, I caught it. It was a stinger. It was asked directly to him when they did the uh, normal, how are we going to ask Harbaugh about the injury portion of the uh, questions. But, yeah, stinger for likely. Called by our friend Gabe Ferguson, by the way, of the show. He said that in live time, so Gabe called it. He is uh, he is someone who wouldn't know about, uh, about that sort of stuff. Uh Okay, well, let's talk about uh, some of the some of the real positives from this game. And one of the real good things was the Ravens managed to end drives consistently. And when I say consistently, I mean consistently. The Broncos had 11 drives. The Ravens ended all of them by either forcing a field goal attempt, forcing a punt. Uh, they did not have any turnovers, so that would have been the other option. They, they did have a stop on downs. I don't believe so. I thought it was all punts. Okay. So... Uh, anyway, that's uh, certainly a great game in terms when you can hold the other opponent to two of 12 on third down. This was the sixth consecutive game that the Ravens have held their opponents to 31% or less. So this defense really has something special going there. I, I really think so, Ken. And the more they settle down into this defense, the more comfortable they get. And there was a, a stop on third and one, I remember, that was uh, – you know, a product of a, like a fourth and one play, you know, they just mm -hmm. decided to punt afterwards. So uh, just manning up, being stronger, bigger and stronger than that defensive line. And I think some of this third down success that we've seen recently, Ken, has to do with the effectiveness on first and down, first and second down uh, from a guy like Roquan Smith, who just flies around in there with Patrick Queen. And uh, you're seeing a lot of chaos, a lot of indecisions by the running backs, even if the first person doesn't get the tackle. It's just really slowing down their running game of the opponents. Yeah, I'll give you another reason, too. I, I would agree with that. But tremendous complementary football being played across this team in terms of um, it's fine to, to penetrate and and be a guy who makes the play and you trust your opponents to, to get it done behind you. Broderick Washington did, did a fair amount of that in this game. I know we're going to be talking about him. Uh, Smith was a finisher, but he was also a, a complimentary player on some occasions, including a great pick play uh, that set up a pressure that eventually led to Owe's sack. So uh, nice, nice play there. Uh, just a variety of things. I have it laid out in the article, by the way. If folks want to go to the drive-ending plays, if it's, it's kind of the lead of the articles of these 11 drive-ending plays and how they developed. And you'll see a couple of things, a lot of complimentary football. He did have four or five of the plays, as it turned out, were really one-man efforts, like 
uh, a pass being caught out of the backfield that Stone stopped somebody very quickly. And one of the big ones was the uh, the knockdown by Bowser on the uh, to defend the pass headed out to the right on third down. Just to add to the complimentary part, Ken, I mean, I've seen this over and over again, but it was really evident in this game where someone's diving at the feet of someone else, and it's just really setting someone up. Hamilton came close a couple of times. Calais came close a couple of times, and they're not what I would consider missed tackles. They are the, the, they're making the guy change direction and turn tail, basically, and just taking the swipe. And, uh, you know, I think that the ends – have been we've seen more crashing from the ends and flowing to the outside of the safeties and linebackers. And I think it, it might be part philosophical from Mike McDonald. We've seen teams do that against the Ravens, where instead of we have the traditional hold the edge, hold the edge, set the edge, set the edge that we've seen so much in Baltimore, where they're just kind of crashing that edge and letting those fast linebackers fill the outside. Yeah, so you, you can afford to take a, a little bit more chance if you trust your, your, uh, your guys trailing the play to contain properly. Uh, there's there's high degree of trust on all on all sides. You can either trust trust that the guy behind you is going to play the proper play properly off you, so that's great. And the other the form of trust that goes with it so well is you got to trust your other players on your team to hustle. And right now the Ravens are hustling to the football, and you're seeing you know a lot of the things that we really appreciated about the 2000 team. And it's been a while, I know, but but 11 billiard balls. You remember that comment? That that they that it was basically guys just continually swarming after the football and and play after play this would happen and part of it was the Ravens were so well rested that year of of having nice long drives between each uh, defensive time and you know the drives were more of a, a you know leisurely in terms of some Jamal Lewis they weren't necessarily a lot of plays but it was enough offensive success that they were they were out snapping their opponents very regularly and and I think. We're seeing a lot of that right now out of the Ravens. They won the snap count battle, and this one's 69-52. So that's the kind of advantage we like to see in Ravens football. This was some short defensive tape, Ken. Some short defensive tape. Got it, you know, kind of late today, which is normal, you know, afternoon today, and was able to finish it before the show, which, quite frankly, is rare. A lot of times when I'm with you, I'll have to cherry pick depending on when the show. But, I mean, it was like less than a half hour of just the plays and the pre-snap. And it was beautiful to see. Um, you talk about that hustle. I think, I, you know, I want to single out a couple of guys, but it's really not. Like you said, it takes all 11. We've seen that from Kyle Hamilton. I love the way he plays. I love the way Rokom Quan plays. Um, so just uh, it seems like a faster defense. Stone is another guy. Uh, faster defense than their 40 time. would. would uh, they're decisive. When they rally. They rally. Yeah, I agree with your comment also, which I didn't really pick up on about the missed tackles. There's there's missed tackles and there's missed tackles. If you miss a tackle in the secondary and that gives the guy an extra five or ten yards, okay, that's a bad one. Sometimes that can lead to a touchdown and it deserves the kind of um, count analysis that it gets. But the raw missed tackle counts are, are a little bit dangerous because they involve a lot of retracking of backs in the backfield, often in particular for defensive linemen. Don't, they don't miss a lot of tackles, but when they do, it's often a retracking of that running back that is actually a, a very positive play. And we saw that, you mentioned, you know, at least once from Campbell in this game and uh, Hamilton big time. I mean, he effectively stretched that play out, the first one where he just was right around the ankles of the player. It's just, just stretching the play to the outside. It's exactly what you should do. You can do it standing up. You can do it diving. He did it diving, but the, the result was no different. And Roquan was able to make a nice, easy tackle for, I think, a one-yard loss on that play. Absolutely. Another another example of where you're 
outside linebackers are flying to the edges. And in the one other point I wanted to make on that is I think that that has a lot to do with just the sheer speed of the linebackers and maybe some kind of, I don't want to say disrespect, but just knowing that you're, your, your inside linebackers like Queen and Roquan can fill that outside lane and not have a running back just straight take it to them and beat them around the edge. It's going to take a lot if they do beat them to stretch it out to where a corner can come and support. So I like it. It's different. You know, I'm so used to the uh, the hard setting of the edge of the stand-up outside linebacker that it, it took me a little bit to catch one. For a second, I thought we were a little undisciplined on the edge, but after noticing it for so many weeks, Ken, it can't be accident. We're seeing a little more crashing by those defensive ends here and filling on the outside, in my opinion. I've just seen it so many times. It, it has to be by by design. Yeah. I, I mean, I would agree. I think I, I don't think they're, they've been bad at setting the edge either. I think they've actually been pretty good at that. We've seen some good play from Bowser, some good outside arm play from Bowser. You know, that's one of the key things you want to see on, a, on an edge setting play is – Use your inside hand to fend off the defender. Usually the one arm is longer than two methodology, which we've talked about in this show, uh, show long enough people, that more, most people know about it. Keep your right hand free if you can. That helps set the edge for that, that player. You can get blocked uh, in, in that situation. Hopefully you get a fill if you do. But, uh, uh, boy, you're, you're, you've, when, when you when, when I've seen Bowser recently you know, keep his outside arm free. We've seen it for other guys, too. We've seen it from Jason Pierre-Paul. Um, I, I'm really happy with where the run, the edge setting is for this defense as well. Yeah, and you see it, you know, I'm making generalization there, but there are times when we set a hard edge. Tyus Bowser came back. He looks great doing it. JPP, Oway's good at it too. And mm-hmm. even if Oway, um, you know, somebody tries to bounce it out on somebody with his speed, they're they're really not getting much extra out of it for making an extraordinary play. So, um, yeah just happy with the run defense all, all the way around. And to get back to the original point, I think that that's setting us up in some pretty good situations on third down. Yeah. We had, had a bunch of third and longs in this game in particular, the second half or, or the, you know, the, towards the end of the game, we really did. I mean, I'm looking at the last plays here. Did have one third and 15 early, but also had third and one, third and three, third and five, third and five. But then after that third and eight, third and nine, third and 10, third and 10, third and 11. That's a pretty good set. Of, definitely of is yeah yeah uh anything else i want to say about this uh I, there's a whole lot i really liked about it i really like the uh calais campbell running um wilson out of bounds not an easy play for a man of his advanced age uh you know for for him to be a spy effectively on that play did not rush the passer his job was just to wait to, to try and diagnose where wilson was going Wilson had just gained 17 yards on the previous play, but he took him right to the sideline. Uh, was was obviously there's two things scaring Wilson. One is if he turns back to the inside, the clock's going to run out. So he's pretty much going to go to the outside. But he could have gotten around Campbell, gotten three extra yards. Say that would have made it a much more possible field goal for McManus. Definitely, and Calais had eyes on him the whole time. There was. I believe it was two men lined up at the line of scrimmage. Can't remember who the other one was, Roquan. but Roquan. Okay, there you go. So he he flushed it to Campbell's side to to Russell Wilson's right. So his you know if he wanted to throw, it would have been a much easier throw. But Marcus Peters, I believe, was over there screaming down on a comeback route. There was no way he was going to throw that into that situation. And uh, I thought it was funny. It was a good job by Campbell, of course, to your point. 
but the field goal kicker was right there where Russell Wilson went out of bounds, mm-hmm. arguing the spot. So that was one of those things that brought a smile <laughs> to my face after I when I was just watching it. Now, not during the game, I was my heart was still in my stomach, but. But yeah, McMahon is number four, sitting there pointing, trying to get the ref to scoot up just an extra couple of yards. So I thought that that was great play by Campbell, good hustle, and uh, worked out by what? How, how much do you think the field goal missed? Five by? yards. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was just about what Tucker's missed by last week. So Tucker's probably been good from about sixty-two. McMahon has probably been good from about fifty-eight. But the uh, uh, we had two two Denver fans sitting behind us, and it might have been husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. But the guy apparently does not know how to calculate field goal distance. And he said, no, McManus can make it here. This from here, this is only 55 yards. And I go, you know, what? And he's like, no, they're, they're, they're at the 45 yard line. So it's only a 55 yard field goal. Anyway. So Ken, do you, do you correct people when you hear stuff like that around I, you in the stands? Look, I mean, there's, there's some things like they were talking to us already and that's how this conversation happened. But I don't like being that guy. Sometimes I'll have a snide comment from Maureen, but I want to avoid being that guy. And there's definitely a time in my youth when I was that guy all the time about baseball. And, you know, it just it was normal that, you know, you'd be at an Oriole game. There's a lot of time between plays and and people like to have conversations or maybe they did 40 years ago in terms of this in, ter- in the stands. But now I, I don't I don't like to talk to opposing fans, period. Um, I think it's generally a, a, a good thing not to do. If you have to find friendly people, fantastic. But if it, it's, there's too much of a risk associated with that, and I like to manage risk. Now, see, now see, Ken. Now, the opposing fans don't bother me as much because whatever they say, it's fine. And you know, I had some of that at the Buffalo game. There were some nice people from actually up in Canada that came and sat. And uh, one of them was a Ravens fan from Canada, and the Buffalo fan from Canada gave him a hard time about that. But it's when I hear my own my own brethren of the Ravens flock say some stuff that's just way out of there um that that i'm tempted to that i'm tempted to speak up and i just usually like you do i'll say something to whoever's with me usually my son and then we'll just you know i'll keep quiet but uh but yeah i you know i think the field goals used to be 17 yards from the line of scrimmage and not 18 I, i'm not sure if you remember yeah, but they, that but yeah, yes that's correct they, they, they moved the spot back an extra yard you know as a general course of action i don't know if it evolved to that or if pretty much one kicker decided, you know, that's the way of it. And it was one of the more successful kickers. And, and they started with that. The, I think one of the first kickers that went to an extra yard of spot was Tom Dempsey. And I believe there's an extra yard of spot on his 63-yard field goal in 1970. Wow. Okay. See, I was thinking more recent than that. I mean, you know, more yeah. recent than that. Oh, it, it definitely is more recent than that in general. It was just on that particular kick. He knew he had to kick it lower because it was so far. And so he wanted the extra yard back from the line of scrimmage. Interesting. Okay. All right. So let's let's move on here. Some great stuff. Some of the stuff that I, I just said I didn't do and I just did, right? So let's <laughs> see what else we got. Oh. I'm having trouble getting back to the show outline. Let's That's talk okay. injuries, for, injuries for a little bit. I think okay. there is some frustration going on in the fan base with what's going on with this. I did have one other point I want to make about drive-ending plays. Let's do that before we get into injuries because this is connected. One of the interesting things about the drive-ending plays, a lot of very extreme packages were used on Sunday that had not been used recently. I'll give you two big examples. Ravens had not played any dime defense in the last several weeks. Uh, Since Roquan arrived, basically it's been Roquan on the... uh, 
Roquan the first game came out for some plays, but since then, both of them have won the field basically every play. They played a uh, number of snaps of dime in this game, um, and uh, they also played their first two four outside linebacker packages of the season. That's that's the package that I call race car. Some people call it NASCAR, although they often mean something different in terms of it might be three or it might be four. They played a lot of three outside linebacker packages, and it's really nice to see McDonald get more extreme. It's also nice to me to see him use the tools that he has in the box to optimize as opposed to just having to use this outside linebackers in particular out of necessity earlier this season. So is this a, by any chance a transition into a David DeJabo discussion? Because uh, that's where that's where my mind goes with this. We, we can definitely go to that next. Is, I, 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 and if you don't have any comments on the extreme packages, we just will go there next. No, uh, you know, I think that part of it was a, a product of maybe Patrick Queen uh, leaving the game because I, I did see Malik uh, replace Patrick Queen immediately after. But uh, I was looking for our Darius Washington snaps, and I saw one earlier where it looked like he was lined up at linebacker. Correct me if I'm wrong there. But uh, down the stretch, he was in the slot. Uh, so I'm wondering if those packages had to do with uh, a backup plan for, you know, they expected to play PQ next to Roquan like they had all game the previous games. And then, you know, when Patrick Queen went out, they wanted to find a better way to replace him. Also, I think the, the Broncos look like they played a ton of tight ends, Ken. Yeah, they, they did. They did. Uh, let me unpack that a little bit on both sides. Okay. So far, first of all, starting with Patrick Queen, he wasn't injured until the second to last drive of the game. So they only had about seven plays that they ran from scrimmage after Queen was hurt. So Queen missed those, but he also missed two plays earlier in the game and Roquan was taken out for a play also. And those were cases where they were able to put the dime on the field and use these extreme packages. You mentioned you saw Ardarius in different places. So Ardarius was typically when I saw, and I might've missed something, but I saw him typically in, at the slot. And there were, there were a couple of nickels where he was in on the slot on third down. And those were race car nickels where he came in to play in the slot. Hamilton was out, which to me was a little bit weak on third down, but they wanted to put in extra pass rushes. And so they had four outside linebackers plus Campbell on the field for both of those. Uh, and then they had some other plays where they were playing a rush dime where they had three outside linebackers on the field as part of a four-man front, uh, a dime package. And I think it was Hamilton that was on the inside in those, but it might have been Ardarius as a linebacker on a play, and I just kind of missed it, um, where Hamilton was was still manning the slot. It kind of makes sense that you would move Hamilton to the inside under those circumstances, unless you maybe had a tight end matchup you really wanted to deal with uh, in the slot. Yes, and it could have been a man in motion or a tight end to the short side. So uh, it wasn't that Ardarius was necessarily playing linebacker. I just was like, wait a minute, who? What is going on? I, I don't think Queen was in on that play, uh, maybe early in the game. So, uh, yes, I, I think that uh, it was a very heavy lineup for for Denver, though. I saw our old buddy Tomlinson out there. Of course, Dulcich was being used as a receiver, but also in line. And uh, the other tight end, I can't remember his name, but I found it uh, striking to me in a good, in a positive way that it didn't look like we were going extra, extra heavy. Uh, it looked like we played a lot of the big – big nickel, I think that you call it, with Hamilton as the fifth defensive back. That's uh, right. Yes. So, you know, if it showed me that, hey, even if these teams go heavy on us, uh, heavy, heavy, 
not in just two tight ends, a 13 or something uh, outlandish that we're pretty comfortable with uh, the tackling of our guys uh, among, uh, you know, Chuck Clark, Kyle Hamilton and, and guys like that to really come up and fill. You know, it's I, I noticed the same thing watching the Broncos because it almost looked a little more like the Ravens this year and how they've played in terms of their super heavy packages. The Ravens play week after week. Now, I just want to put this in context. The, the, they did play a lot of th- uh, a lot of snaps from three different tight ends, Dolchich, Tomlinson, and Saubert. And between the three of them, they played exactly 100 snaps on 53 total offensive snaps for the Broncos. That includes penalties. So it's, it's somewhat under two. The point is that, that the Ravens for the entire season are up, and they didn't play any snaps with a fullback, by the way. So Ravens are at something like 2.3 or the high 2.2s, excuse me, for the full season in terms of, of heavies on the field. So there's, there's heavy, and I think the Broncos certainly qualify that. And then there's super heavy, which the Ravens have been doing. It's some of the heaviest packages in, in NFL history. There you go. And I, I think that overall in this game, Ken, just an overall point, uh, there was a lack of respect, I think, from the, the Ravens towards the Broncos. Uh, skill personnel, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not just the running backs, but, you know, hey, these receivers aren't as good as the the, the corners we have and DBs we have, especially when Sutton, Sutton Cortland Sutton left the game. And um, also, it just seemed like the Broncos kind of knew they were overmatched. I saw a lot of well-schemed stuff early that eventually they just kind of ran out of uh, – Ran out of creative play. Yeah, ran out of creative plays to do it. Like the Broncos were pretty much they they could have got aggressive in this game and tried to get a touchdown. And I think they only took one shot at Ardarius, uh, which was really well played by Chuck Clark late in the mm-hmm. game. But other than that, man, they just kind of relied on their defense. Yeah, absolutely. That play by Clark. I mean, and he takes he's taken a lot of abuse uh, recently. I think he's still very much a contributor. I think he's playing kind of out of position, but. Um, but you're right. Going back to your initial point is that they really did have some very well-schemed plays. The initial patch to, uh, pass to Dulcich, which end up Dulcich, which ended up Stone being responsible for it, it looked like, but it was a pass-off in-zone play where he got the matchup he wanted for the 40-yard catch. That one is one of those you just hope you don't get put in that position because even if if Stone had had really good coverage on the play, Dulcich is still a very much larger man than Stone, so it's going to be a pretty good one-on-one reception opportunity. In that case, he actually had some space. And to me, it looked like, and and it was on one of the two, and I can't recall if this is the one. I think it was on the 40. My, My first question was, why isn't Stone over there by now, given the amount of time the ball had been in the air and the fact that they were splitting the field and whatnot? It just, it didn't make sense to me. Which one are you talking? Because Judy had the one for 40 yards. So Dulcich's big plays were 19, 22, and 30. Yeah, it's the 30. I'm sorry. I, I, okay. it, it, it's the one. Let me pull up my sheet here. Um, that, that play was confusing. The, the you know, the fourth quarter, it was the last big play that the Broncos had. It was the 30-yard pass to, to Dulcich. And Gino was at the line of scrimmage. And Chuck Clark came up rather aggressive. And they were playing. They were manned up across the board. Like Marcus, it was obviously on his man. Um, they weren't giving help anywhere. And Chuck came up and bumped Gino off. Like it looked like it was a straight double team with no safety behind them. Whereas I kind of assumed that Chuck was playing the free safety or being the safety because Gino was hooked up at the uh, line of scrimmage uh, next to next to Dol- across from Dulcich. So that was a really strange play, that last big play that uh, the Broncos had. They had four big plays overall, as I see going through your notes, Ken, yep. uh, as I marked them. 
and that was 111 out of the 189 yards that the Broncos had came on four plays. So it was a really, I mean, an outstanding job by the Ravens all the way around. There was four plays that you could really point to and say, and we got to do a little bit better than that. Okay, I'm, I am really trying hard to find this note here because I am comfortable with what I saw here on the play. Okay, here's the 30. It was on second and six. Yeah, 50, 50 rushes unblocked off play action for quarterback hit. 3 to 80, PM 30, 25 plus 5, 2 circle, over 26 who tackles. So was 26 was Stone was at the line of scrimmage to start that play. Is that the one you're talking about? And that was it was a Q4 655. That would have had to have been it. Yes, Gino, Gino was bumped up on the line of scrimmage. And Chuck started off the line of scrimmage, like in a typical safety position, and then came kind of screaming up at the end. And there was contact between Chuck and Stone you know, right around about five yards after line of scrimmage. And both of them were scrambling to catch up with Dulcich from there. So that looked like a miscommunication to me. You know, like I said, on that play also, Ken, Marcus Peters was by himself on the left side, manned up. So it was clearly a man situation. This wasn't some kind of like complex zone. So missed missed man or single high man. It honestly, to me, looked like both of them thought that they were the man instead of you know, one of them being the safety behind the play and one of them being the man coverage guy. So, um, yeah, it was just really weird, really strange play. All right. Outstanding. I, I'll, I'll have to go back and look at that because my feeling on, of in seeing some of the grading that other sites have had for Stone was is fairly harsh. Now, he had a couple of missed tackles that ended up being not too serious, but they could have been. Um, but Stone also made a couple of great plays. You know, a, a, a drive-ending tackle coming downhill, um, and he had another that was a that was a half half credit for one because he's one of the big three in terms of it. Yeah, it was the eighth drive that they stopped, which was half him and half Houston. So I'd have to go back and look at exactly what happened on that play. But but anyway, I, 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 I where would this team be without Geno Stone during the Marcus Williams absence? It's a great question. I mean, I, I don't even know who we have behind him. Like who who would we have behind him? I guess would they Stevens, move Stevens? Yeah. Stevens would go back, and that's not a great situation. Um, you know, you would have to have Chuck play a lot of just what you would ask, what you would classify as a free safety. Uh, he wouldn't get to do any of the things that he was good. So, yeah, Geno Stone, hats off to him, one of the unsung heroes. Uh, and as a matter of fact, Ken, I did a poll on Twitter. I put up four unsung heroes, and Geno was the winner. Gino was the winner over Broderick Washington, Josh Oliver, and I apologize to the other person that I can't remember right now, but Gino won. Okay, I thought Josh Oliver, this is for the whole season or this is for the for this game? I put it up at the bye week for who was the, okay. you know, who was the unsung hero for this point, thought it was something interesting. I picked two offensive guys and two defensive guys, so I'm forgetting an offensive player. Oh, Pat McCary. Pat McCary was the other one. Uh, Pat McCary and Josh Oliver, Gino Stone, Broderick Washington. Gino won. I think uh, Broderick was second. I think I think I, I'm probably not as high on McCarry's play as other people are, but I would probably any of the other three. I think have been been big assets for the Ravens this year. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think honestly, when you see what the other choice is, you know, after Patrick McCarry at left tackle, you realize just how lucky we are to have Patrick McCarry. That's right. Yeah. So we we get into that a little bit tomorrow night. We don't. We'll, have to do it twice in a row. Anyway, let's go. Let's go back to the injury situation because you wanted to, you wanted to segue into talking about why not get a job on the field. 
I, I really want to get a job on the field. And I, I think that I just want to start with my scouting report of them, uh, you know, quickly to sum it up. This guy, in my opinion, is could be the second best pure pass rusher on the team right now that we have coming off the edge. I think that highly of him. Obviously, Justin Houston deserves to be in the category by himself. But uh, you want to talk about a guy who's light on his feet, who is an extremely good counter puncher, which is something that I don't think we have from the other guy. He, he'll be able to, if you overset, he'll be able to either spin on you or cross you up and crash the quarterback on the inside. And if he catches you half stepping into your pass set, he can do a little hesitation, cross chop, go around you and has fantastic bend. So Ken, my main, uh, my main thing is how do we get this guy active and how do we get him on the field? Because Harbaugh said, Look, guys, basically is what he said. I'm not activating Ojabo over a special teams guy. Ojabo, we have our numbers set. Uh, we're gonna Ojabo is gonna have to work his way on the field, which to me means two options. And uh, I'm just curious to what you have to say well, on Ojabo you, first. Two, two, two options. It's it's injury is obviously one will get him on the field, and that's often how players get their first chance. Um, but the other one would be somebody else plays really poorly, uh, and and I don't know if that's if there's nobody that's currently really in danger of that. And I know there's a lot of OA haters out there. Nowhere, he's not, not even close to doing that. Not, especially not when something McDonald has said is that Ajabo needs to practice faster. You know, you, I don't like hearing that at all about any player. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a kind of a Tim Williams kind of comment in terms of that. But it may also mean not necessarily a work ethic thing or not necessarily he's not trying as hard as he should in practice. It might be he's still kind of a little bit tepid about the injury that he's coming back from and is not trusting entirely putting his weight on it and and uh going 100 percent in practice so it may be there may be some things about that they're actually concerned about him from a game perspective well uh injury is definitely one one of the ways to that ajabo would be activated but i was strictly talking about if we're healthy you know, we want to get this guy on the field. Say a job is tearing it up at practice where we're going to have to deactivate one of the guys up front. Um, and, you know, one idea would be a way just to give him a week off to reset himself, uh, especially with the, the comment about practice. Maybe he's not practicing well. Maybe a job just looks better in practice. But I have a I don't think that's likely either, Ken. Did, um, did somebody say, hold on, I didn't I didn't describe that to Oway. I thought McDonald said it about a job. Oh, okay. No, I hadn't. I, I, okay. Thank you for clearing that up. No, it, it just sounded like a job. I was going to have to practice and stand out and practice. So yeah, I heard, I heard the same thing. My other idea, Ken, that I want to run by you though, is a guy like Brent Urban. Um, you know, we see the flexibility we have with uh, JPP playing inside a lot, uh, playing that defensive end. Urban's given us what, 10, 12 snaps a game. You have Broderick that can move around. Calais can move around. Uh, Matabike can move around a little bit like 12 snaps doesn't seem like a lot to be able to cover on the inside, especially with how good our run defense is. And I'm wondering if that's a way where we can short there and get a job uh, activate five outside linebackers. So not an unreasonable question for starters, but I absolutely hate going to four defensive linemen. I think your, your risk of getting caught short is just so high with an injury on the inside, leaving you with three, I mean, imagine if that had happened in a game like this or against the Cleveland Browns where you're having to play a ton of base and you're down to three guys, they all got to play every snap. Well, that's a big disadvantage. That's a really big disadvantage. It, maybe it hurts you less if you're playing Cincinnati and they're right. 11 almost every snap and it doesn't really matter that much. Uh, maybe. But I, I, I think that the, uh, uh, you know, the, the risk is too great. And, I, you know, frankly, 
I don't know what the connection is to special teams guys that makes them so important. The percentage of punts that are getting returned these days is low. The percentage of kickoffs that are getting returns today is low, and you can make it zero with the with you know Justin Tucker or even Jordan Stout kicking off if you want to do that. Um, you just it's just you know we're talking about a very limited number of plays. I think Brand Urban actually really adds something to this run defense, and and I don't see it really reflected the way I would like in other grading systems. Um, but I, I think he's more valuable than than others would say. Ken, I, I just have to agree with you on everything you just said. Number one, I always feel like we have one too many special teams guy activated, especially when you have Justin Tucker. Uh, we don't need – and we have a great defense. We don't need these, to have these plays where we're trying to get some kind of turnover there. We have a turnover-forcing defense. Number two, I don't think that the Ravens are comfortable going with just four uh, – defensive lineman. I agree with you. You know, this is my idea. I don't think it's likely, um, you know, that they want to go in potentially being short on the defensive line and having five outside linebackers. I'm saying I'm grasping for straws here to try to find a way to get a job in this pass rush. And that that's pretty much where I'm coming from. What are your options? How can it be done? So I, the guy who would drop from the active roster is Welch. And I'd go with one less inside linebacker. I think Harrison can move there if necessary. And basically, by putting a job on, you're, you're effectively switching um, Harrison to being not an outside linebacker, but an in, a backup inside linebacker plus a full-time special teams player. Right. And then when you, when you have a job in, when, when he's on your roster and you have five active, then you don't have any compunction about game planning around four outside linebacker packages because you, you're not going to get caught short suddenly during the game. Now, you'd have a backup plan anyway. It's, you know, you go with Campbell and Matabike plus three outside linebackers or you, you know, you, you put four guys on the line of scrimmage as they would typically do and just have three and one on those plays. That's fine. Um, but th- but they, ha- they have other options to 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 fix that, quote unquote. But if they really just want to play four outside linebackers out front, which is, hey, that's pretty freaking uh, scary to a lot of quarterbacks to have that uh, lined up against them. Uh, if they want to play four up front and even drop Bowser off ball where he has a choice, you know, he's an option player of, of he can he can blitz a lot of the time, find a good gap. Uh, you can do the same thing with O.A. if you want to, to drop him off the line of scrimmage. And you probably want him rushing the passer, um, but but you can pick his gap and use that speed to more effectiveness. I just think you can get so much more out of your pass rush, in particular one where your 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 way of getting sacks this year has been get pressure, follow up sack. They haven't had a lot of plays where it's just been one guy blows somebody away with a one-on-one win and takes the quarterback down. There's been very few of those. There's been a lot of one guy gets pressure, drives the guy into the hands of the quarterback coming from another direction. Absolutely. And, you know, that would be my solution too, just to have, you know, Welch would be a, a you know perfect example. But, you know, I think it was Jonas Schaefer that asked Harbaugh uh, last week and he was like, how do you get a job activated? Is that just a special teams thing? And, Harbaugh was like, no, it's a numbers thing in his position. So I'm like, geez, there goes that. That's when I started freaking out and we discussed on the show, you know, the different ways if, uh, you know, if it's a numbers thing, who who would you deactivate? Um, I think it's unlikely that, that, that they would deactivate any of those guys. If I had to, if I had to choose, it would just be between, unless you want to give JPP a week off the rest of his legs, but he's playing well mm-hmm. too. Um, you know, uh, Urban, or maybe they just want to reset away because uh, getting back to him, Ken, I don't think he's playing poorly, but I can kind of see the thought bubble in his head. Uh, it just looks like he's pressing. He's trying too hard. I would love to see the fast free 
Adathia way, just out there causing havoc and not trying to be so uh, technical, you know, just, just be a football player. I think if there were any questions about his work ethic, they'd have already done it because, because the, you know, there's been enough things not going completely right that they could have done it. But on the other hand, I, I think they don't want it to be a punitive thing for a player who's working hard and who's had some success. And frankly, they need him to be the guy. And, and as much as people might like David Ajabo, um, I still think the upside on Owe is higher based on his raw athleticism, what we've seen about him at the NFL level already. Admittedly, he's not having a great year this year. Uh, and Ajabo, we just don't know. He's a complete incomplete in terms of the grade. But I think it's, it's, it's more frequent that people will substitute their judgment for the coaches that are there in practice and say, my guy will be better. Ajabo is going to be better than OA because, you know, I, I, I watched him play in college, for example, in some cases. I'm not ascribing this to you, but please understand that, Jason. I'm not trying sure. to point, point the finger at you on this. But, but that they don't really look at the fact that there's more information outside of that, that, that bubble that we can see. Uh, on the field where Owe has had some difficulties, but he's still, you know, certainly contributing some things and still contributing some pressures this year. Um, he's just not finishing. But I don't want to go too far off on other other players here. The, the, the coaches do have an idea of what they think Ajaba would be capable of on the field based on what they're seeing in practice. And I, I, I don't think there's any question that they don't think it's what Owe is right now. I would project forward and I'd say that the ceiling on OA is still significantly higher than is for Ajabo as far as what we know. Uh, and part of that is just assimilating this little bit of additional information that he just can't seem to get on the field. Yeah, you know, but Jason Pierre-Paul, it, it's, it's not like he's played so well that a great young rookie would not be the guy to push him off the field. Yeah, you know, and my point is for this year, Ken, for these mm -hmm. last months, for this last month, I think it would be wise of the Ravens to see what a job it has in the pass rush. I, I just really do because a ways upside, I could probably argue with you on that and say, I think Ojabo, I would have had him rated in the teens, if not for an injury. I had away in the 30s, you know, I think number 30 on, on our board when we did it uh, that year. Um, you know, athle uh, athletically, I think a from a pass rush perspective has a lot more quickness, lateral quickness than away where away is a little bit stronger. But as far as this year is concerned, yeah, I mean, away, I think as a pass rusher, isn't just going to wake up and all of a sudden have great bend and, you know, be a, a master at hand swiping and, and all that where Adafi or uh, David Ajabo could come in and start crossing up some left tackles left and right. Um, like we saw him do in college with the, just a deadly spin move. And the bend isn't close between the two. Jabo has a lot more bend in his pass rush. Talk about finishing a nose for the ball. I think he had four or five forced fumbles last year uh, than Adafi away. So I, I want to see it, Ken. You know, it's a, I didn't mean to derail the program, but I'm just over here. I just want to see David Ajabo rush the passer 10, 15 times a game and just see what happens. Well, I, I want to see that too. And, and I mean, it's very important with any player to not lose developmental years. And a, and a big part of, of Owe getting this developmental year is not as much, well, probably it's half and half. I, I'm happy he's back practicing. I mean, honestly, he could have lost the whole year and we'd just been waiting for 23 and hoping that he kind of figured it out during the off season. At least he's got practice. Okay. That's, that's maybe half of it. Now I'd like to see him in the games. And my big words for that are fail forward. So I think he'll come in at this point. I'd probably put the, the over under on sacks for him for, for this year at a half. It was one and a half, two weeks ago. 
Now it's a half. I don't know if you take the over or not on that, given what you what you know about how the Ravens are thinking about using him. But um, but that's what I put it at. I don't know. I don't even know which way the lay would go at this point. And then if if he um, if he gets in there and he could play fifty snaps this season, yeah, I'll put it fifty snaps. I think that would be really nice for failing forward. I think he'll learn a lot about how NFL tackles probably approach him. And, and how they're going to want to deal with him and some of the things he can try on a play-by-play basis. Uh, most of his, pass, his snaps, if he gets in, they're going to be pass rush snaps. He's, you can, he's, he's going to be a situational guy. I think we'd agree now at this point. And, you know, I, I think that would be good. And I think the Orioles had a lot of guys and, and a lot of their questions came up on, do they really want to hoard service times with these guys or is it really worth getting them to the major leagues and allowing them to fail forward? And make sure that they, they can take something from their first season. Sometimes it's not even failing forward at the major league level. It's just getting to AAA, allow them to fail there so they start next season hitting better at AAA. Absolutely, absolutely. So that, that topic's been burning a hole in my That's pocket. Right. When you yeah. when you mentioned the race car package, I'm like, man, we could really – Yeah, I, I would love to see a job up against some of these bigger, sloppier, uh, you know, left or right tackles just – you know, taking it to him because I, you know, I meant what I said about him being light on his feet and being a counter puncher when it comes to like natural feel for a pass rush. There's, there's really no comparison between him and Adafi away. Who's got to do it with pure athleticism. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a conundrum for me. I just want to see the young man get a chance. I, I would have been really high on him, had him in the teens of this draft. And I think most teams would have, would have. So if he's healthy, ready, showing in practice, I want to find a way to get him on the field. All right. Similar, similar problem with Kolar getting on the field. You know, now Kolar's opportunity may have passed and they've got the number situation as well. Likely was out a week. It seemed like that would be a natural time to get him in there. Um, That does not seem to be happening either, but, uh, but you know, the good news is the Ravens have got a little bit of depth and, you know, if they need to go to it in an emergency and we hope it doesn't happen, then they'll have it. There you go. And Nick Boyle. How many snaps is he averaging a yeah. game? About the same. You know, cause I, I mean, can, I can't, I can't justify that. I mean, you know, okay. we've we've talked about that a lot of times on the show. I, I just, I can't justify it. See, and I could, I'd be a, a if you really need an extra blocker, put Falele out there and put Oliver on the end and Boyle spot, and let's let's go for it like that. But uh, we're not disagreeing. I'm saying I can't justify Boyle having a spot. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> that that would be an easy fix for me, man. I'd just put Kohler out there and and let Boyle. That will uh, hopefully sign on with the practice squad and be a, a great teammate. Man, sad. One of my favorite players to watch on tape, Nick Boyle. Absolutely can. Love that guy. Yeah, he certainly was a big part of that 2019 offense and even into 2020 before he got hurt. So it was a, it was a damn shame. Uh, let's, let's go on to some other elements of this game because we're, we're allowing this to drag a little bit. Um, Wilson got rid of the ball very quickly in this game, but when he didn't get rid of the ball very quickly, he really had some good ample time and space opportunities. 46% in this game. It wasn't for complete lack of trying. We'll get into that a little bit with the pass rush in part two of the show, but 46% ATS is a lot. And, you know, it's, it, it's a lot of why uh, he was able to kind of uh, burn the Ravens for more yards per play than most quarterbacks recently at 7.7, I think, in this game. Yeah, a few big plays, and I think Russell Wilson made some good plays himself out on the move. And, uh, you know, each one of those big plays, you know, I think that you have to give uh, Russell Wilson some credit. So, yeah, I would have liked to seen the pass rush step up. I think that uh, Denver, again, did a good job on the design of their plays, though, too, Ken. So I'm going to give uh, the Broncos some credit here. 
Yeah, I think I think that's only fair. And and Wilson, for all the things he has not been this year, was still a hundred rated passing the last four seasons. And there's there's a reason why he got this big contract from Denver. And I, I still you know every everybody seems to think this you know they want to get rid of him for good. You know, I saw a guy there yesterday. You know, I wouldn't be happy about having signed him to the contract I had. I'm not going to lie about that. But I think I would not be so so quick to pull the trigger on getting rid of him and try to take the pain sooner to get the Broncos over some hump that is going to somehow get them back into contention a little bit early. And, and I think they would have to take consecutive $40 million hits starting in 24 is one of the options. So that really does not seem like anything that would excite me. If the other option is you just you just live with Russell Wilson and and you know he might he might turn it around and be pretty good again. I agree. I would build up that offensive line as as well as I could the next couple of years. And you know you have a good defense. Your skill players are hurt. Uh, you know you could use an upgrade. You'll have a good running back if Javante when Javante Williams comes back. Uh, if he does, yeah, give me a, give me a good running game, good offensive line, and take my chances. I wouldn't take that big hit. It's not doing you any good with with Kansas City in the division and and uh, other competitive teams in the AFC. Let's move on to a couple other topics. The opponents um, uh, are four for their last 12 in the Ravens now against the Ravens in the red zone. And that really kind of matches up with the Ravens. The Broncos are eight for 24 in the red zone in the season. So as bad as the Ravens have been this year in the red zone, they're still a hell of a lot better than that. And I had that written on here, but I don't have it now in terms of, of what the Ravens are for the, for the season. I know they did have an O for four game, but, uh, but they're better than eight for 24 in the season. That's for sure. And uh, th- there's always a team less than you. And it's great if, if the Broncos are about the worst team in the whole NFL. They might be 32nd, they might be 31st in, teams of, in terms of red zone offense. But the fact that the Ravens have only allowed four of their last 12 in the red zone, which matches the Broncos for the season, even in a relatively smaller sample size, half the size, that's pretty damn good. Really happy with that. It sure is, and uh, you know, no chances for the Broncos in the red zone this this week. Deepest they got, uh, I had marked down the twenty three yard line. I believe that's accurate. So just a, a great day for the defense overall. Four big plays. Other than that, really wasn't much there. They got some runs early on that I think we gave them a little too much, but uh, not much to complain about on the defensive side. Red zone, you know, I, I I'd like to see us uh, tighten things up at times down there, but it, I think that they've done a really good job and. Uh, we just have talented players, Ken. Yeah, very fortunate with that. The shutdown of the run had been very impressive. Now, the fact that the Broncos got 88 yards this week was a forced commitment to the run game due to a lack of wide receiver talent, a lack of belief that they could really be- beat the Ravens with the passing game. They only threw the ball 24 times in this game. They ran at 28. Very unusual. They also led for much of the game, and they were trying to get it over for some of that. But they had 3.1 yards per carry, and they had 21 of those 88 yards came in the last two carries by Wilson scrambling from the pocket with you know no time remaining effectively. So uh, it's now been 254 yards given up on 95 carries. That's 2.7 yards and 50.8 yards per game over the last five games. That is 2,000 Ravens level, folks, in terms of you know, they were at, I think, 2.7 yards per carry is what they allowed, and they allowed 60 yards per game for the season. Uh, and the Ravens have been better than that the last five weeks. It's been ridiculous, and, you know, when you do take out the quarterback runs, they they are, uh, you know, we see it for the Ravens, what Lamar averages per carry, some of them being scrambles, and then what we're getting out of the running backs. 
Uh, the Ravens are shutting down opposing running backs, and it's just beautiful to see. Uh, you know, I again, I think the addition of Roquan Smith really helps with that a lot. Uh, just an aggressive player. I see him making tackles in queen zone sometimes, a screen to queen side, and Roquan's the first one there, queen yeah. stuck on the block. It's just a, a ridiculous level of uh, of confidence going from these guys right now. Love to see it. Um, you know, we're going to need some production from our offense in the passing game. We're going to need to clean up some issues with communication or the calls in the back end. But as far as the rush defense itself is concerned, uh, you know, sky, sky high level confidence I have. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, as, as you mentioned earlier, that's creating a lot of those very advantageous third down situations, uh, particularly, particularly in this game. Uh, I, you know, early, I was actually a little bothered by how easily that uh, Latavius Murray was able to put on a spin move on first contact pretty much every run it seemed like and 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 get a get a couple extra yards and then you realize well the first contact's happening at you know zero one and two yards past the line of scrimmage it's really not too terrible when 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 that's what what ends up happening that he turns a three-yard gain into a five-yard gain or whatever it might be um and he ended up i think with a long run of seven yards for the game i might be wrong it might have been 10 but uh the broncos did not have any long runs outside of wilson they had one 13-yard run yeah, Murray's long run was seven of 17 carries. So uh, Boone had one 10-yard carry of, among six. And then Wilson had a 17-yard carry on the last two, last two plays of the game. He carried for 17 and then for four. So Ravens got it done on uh, versus the run. Yes, and I'm looking here. I'm just looking at the drive summary. And uh, I don't have it up right now, but it seemed like that first drive, first two drives, I think Murray had something like 40 yards and ended up with less than or around 50. Uh, so it was really just cleaning it up the first couple of drives, which weren't horrible. Uh, but after that, it was just locked down defense when they're, when they're run game. So uh, just again, just a really impressive group. Also Geno Stone, Chuck Clark. This was one of Chuck Clark's better games of the year. I thought coming down, filling the run aggressively also, you know, with the tight end usage, he was in coverage quite a bit. Uh, just a great, uh, just like I said, talented defense, man. It is a talented defense. We had one question come up in the mailbag. We'll we'll jump on it right now because we want to do some in, in each segment here. But question was, how do they keep Geno Stone on the field? He's played so well, even when Marcus Williams comes back. And I, I think, I think I know what the answer is. I hope this is what they will try and do. But uh, what do you think first? I don't think he'll he'll be on the field much. I really don't. Um, I think it's I think Kyle Hamilton is up. I think it's going to be you're going to see 100 percent of uh, Marcus Williams, 100 percent of Chuck Clark. And you're going to see Kyle Hamilton in as much as he possibly can, depending on the matchup. Uh, I don't see a lot of Geno Stone. I would say maybe a, a five, five to ten snaps, kind of like what we saw out of uh, our Darius Washington this week. OK. I, I think I would see a larger role than that. I don't know how big it could be because a lot of it depends on how much the Ravens could get the lead, and they haven't had the lead as much as we'd like recently. But if we if they could get back to 30% dime, I think he'd be on for the dime snaps. I think the Ravens would go back to the dime if they had Geno Stone available to play the back end with Marcus Williams. Chuck Clark's natural role is to come up and play dime back. And then you stick with Hamilton at slot corner, who I think just gives you an unbelievably versatile player there in terms of, of, of what he can do. Not, not the greatest, faster, linear speed by any stretch, but you know if you're going to end up in zone defense, he's going to have an underneath zone. And, and that has 
his size, that has real value. And he's proven that wingspan is very useful for tackling as well, I think. So I, I think it makes sense to, to, uh, to put Chuck kind of back in his normal spot, which would be that dimeback role. He's still going to carry the green dot and play the other plays on the, as, a, as a strong safety. Um, but, uh, but I think if, if you have him replacing one of the two linebackers, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Do you think they'd, they'd make that move to take Queen or Roquan off the field on passing downs for Chuck Clark? No, and that's that's the basis of 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 basically how, why I'm saying it. Um, I don't think that it has nothing to do with what you and I prefer. Mm-hmm. It just you know I'm seeing you know I was surprised. I thought that uh, Queen would not play 100 percent of the snaps once Roquan was ready to play at all games, but. Uh, you know they've showed me different, and I don't think that that has to do with an abs or anything to do with an absence of uh, of uh, of Marcus Williams. Because when they had some confidence in Brandon Stevens, they could have put Hamilton in Queen's spot, and they didn't. So, uh, yeah, I'm saying they're going to play the the two linebackers all the time. That's going to leave a lot of nickel defense, and I think Hamilton is the next one in line to play with the starting four. Okay. Well, it'd be interesting to see if they maybe even try something different, go to a 32 at some point. If they went to a 32 dime, they'd have another option to, to, to get them on the field. Now that becomes a case of they probably have too many good pass rushers at outside linebacker to commit to that. It, I see the migration looks like it's going to three and four outside linebacker packages based on where the team's strength is now. And, and that will lead to the possibility of getting a Jabo on the field. So uh, it's, a, it's a tough situation for Stone, though. He's played very well, and, and I would... You know, you you almost hate to put a guy like that back on the bench after what he's done for the team these last few weeks. It's a great question. Great question. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I could see a space for him if the other team is going into pass heavy, but I really think that this is going to be a big nickel team uh, coming down the stretch. That that question from Karsten Evans at, at Evans Karsten. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Karsten. By the way, Karsten has listened to uh, uh, more than eight days of, uh, of film study this year. Nice. Yeah, very nice. nice. Eleven something, some huge number of hours. Anyway, I don't have it right in front of me, but uh, but it was impressive. They have they they have it on, on Spotify in minutes, but it's it was you know 180 hours or something or 189 hours that he listened to. That's loyalty. Thank you. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, real quickly, uh, we've got. Greg Dulcich and Jerry Judy were most of the Ravens, uh, the Broncos offense in this game. Um, they had some matchup issues against Dulcich, but I think it was, I would agree with you, it was mostly good scheme. With Jerry Judy, uh, he can give match, matchup problems to a lot of different players, so I'm not too concerned about that either. Most of the, what they did the rest of the time was dump off and quick throws that, that they were scheming to get Wilson a throwing lane, which has been a big problem for him this year, not being able to see over the line of scrimmage. Yes, and poor offensive line play, the moving parts they kept talking about in the, in the broadcast. I didn't think much of the offensive line of the Broncos going into this game, and it was quite clear that they were they were kind of uh, shying away from traditional-looking plays where they, they just wanted to move the pocket for Russell Wilson. So, um, so yes, uh, you know, I thought it was a creative job by uh, Clint Kubiak, Kubiak disciple, to try to get something. <laughs> it was just uh, he didn't uh, – he didn't have the horses in this one, Ken. I, I, I agree with you when you said the, the offense ran through specifically Dulcich. Uh, but, of course, Jerry Judy was uh, their, their best receiver out there once Sutton got hurt. Uh, let's see. the Almost no targeting of Humphrey and Peters in this game. And, by the way, that is pretty sweet because some of the sacrifices that the Ravens have had to make to 
you know, not to, to, to either, um, usually to help the slot corner. Uh, and, and in, in, uh, in the past week with it being, um, I, I'm forgetting now, it was Pepe last week. Yes, he, yeah. he had got a shot. So, and it's been Brandon Stevens and other weeks playing at in that third corner role. So they've had to provide him help, but that usually has provided some additional opportunities to go after more often Peters than Humphrey. They've still shown a tremendous deference to Humphrey's side of the field, and uh, and Wilson definitely showed that again in in this game. They really didn't go after either of those guys. Most of their stuff was middle of the field, get the ball out quickly. When you did have a little more time, and he had some some times, they were still going for players like Dolchich and Judy in the middle of the field where they weren't covered by uh, by uh, Humphrey or Peters. Absolutely. A tremendous amount of respect from the Broncos coaching staff when it come to challenging those guys. There was just, they weren't going to do it. And I think I stated earlier, saw a lot more man, I believe, from the Ravens in this game. I don't have the numbers yet, but it looked like they just weren't afraid of the uh, Broncos receivers at all. Six missed tackles last week combined for Roquan and Queen. Let's see, that's how I had it scored, I believe. And zero this week for the two of them combined. Uh, big, big change there. I, I, I can't help but think tackling was probably an emphasis uh, after that game against Jacksonville where some plays were missed. There you go. Yes, it, it Jacks, the Jacksonville game definitely hurt. I could see them tightening up. But, uh, but yeah, big credit. Uh, you know, they, it's just a really dynamic duo when, when Roquan really makes it. And, and, you know, we've seen the Ravens the last few years uh, you know, bring back binds and, and that kind of thing just to give Queen someone reliable he can build off of. But the chemistry between those two looked great, and it was great to see that you scored zero missed tackles for uh, for for both of them. That's great, especially with a game that with so many running plays can and tight end centric yeah. uh, for and short stuff uh, could have very easily missed the tackle with uh, with it not being a bad play, but just charge them with the miss. Right, they had they had certainly very good on downhill plays to stop receivers short of the sticks. That was a big part of their defense here. It has been in, in, you know, for several weeks now. I want to go into packages, and I just want to go over a couple things here, and then we'll take our, take our little break, come back for part two. Um, the big nickel, we've talked about a little bit. 21 of their plays were big nickel. So they only, only ran uh, a couple of plays where they had a version of a standard nickel in there, uh, which was a... Um, actually a race car nickel in both cases where they had four outside linebackers. It kind of becomes non-standard for a different reason for for what pass rushers you have on the field. But the big nickel was what they went with. They went with Hamilton as a slot corner. I'm glad to see coming back from the injury against a different opponent that they're willing to just say, screw it. That's our best option right now as our third cornerback. And we think that gives us the best five defensive backs we can put on the field. Glad to see it. I'm still a little bit concerned when you when you get a shifty slot receiver like the one they have in Buffalo, for example. But uh, but Kyle Hamilton needs to be on the field. He, he just shows up in the aggressiveness, the tackling, uh, you know. And if you give him a zone to cover, if you give him a help next to him, he's just got a tremendous feel uh, for what he needs to do, when he needs to turn it on, when he needs to be patient. Just an excellent football player. But um, you know, I would prefer him or you know a guy like Ardarius or Pepe to really take that and leave Marlon outside and just let Brandon Stevens uh, marinate for a while until he can get it together. Because um, that's what makes me more nervous outside the numbers than anything else, especially without Marcus Williams is, uh, you know, some, some 
uh, penalties and some big plays at Brandon Stevens uh, on the sideline there, Ken. So here's the question I have for you. Are you more concerned about a team that can throw 11 out there? Because there are a lot of 11s with a, with a single big receiver, at least, where you can adjust and have Hamilton put on, you know, chase a bigger receiver, say. Or are you more concerned with the teams that can put 10 on the field, even though a player like Hamilton or, or whoever the Ravens have can, maybe has a slightly better chance to bully a team like that? You know what? I, I really would be the more the more receivers they put out, the the worse I'm feeling. That's it. It's just it's you know, it's hard enough to find that good third cornerback. And, you know, Peters has had his moments this year. So if you're you're asking me four guys to cover, uh, you know, we're having a hard time with the third one. We're just getting settled in here with Kyle Hamilton. So I'll take 11 personnel all day long in that in that situation. Right. Unfortunately, we're, we're kind of in a situation and Washington didn't like step in in a way that he's suddenly become the obvious choice at slot corner either. I mean, so, so there, that we have that, but that third cornerback spot is the worst, is the worst guy the Ravens can, can put on the field defensively, period. I mean, it's, it's, if it's, if it's, it's JAD who's now hurt, it's Stevens who has not played well. He was on the field for one snap at the end of the game in quarter. Um, it's, Pepe, who was deactivated this week, so that kind of gives you an idea of where the coaches, you know, feel about him at this point. And then it's Ardarius Washington at practice squad elevation, getting elevated ahead of Pepe. It's really a bad sign, by the way. Um, I don't know what they do against a you know a team like Buffalo. If they really want to play ten, they can play ten. A team like Pittsburgh has been able to play ten or even 0-1 in the past, but I'm not sure what they have this year, honestly, to know if they've got enough good receivers remaining there to try something like that, or if they, if they even trust their offensive line enough with, with Pickett back there. Yes. And you know, it, it just may be a thing where, and I, I think that this is where Mike McDonald comes in handy is that you can't play wink speed, wink scheme. You can't man up all the time and you can't trick good quarterbacks like, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes, even Joe Burrow down the stretch and Josh Allen, they're just too good for that. So maybe the solution is, Ken, you get Kyle Hamilton and his long arms in, you know, in that zone, you get a downhill player uh, like uh, like Geno Stone or even Ardarius to come in and crash some things. So, uh, you know, zone defense instead of man defense, if you can't man up with them across the board, you know, put your zone out there. And I think in general, the zone has gotten tighter, uh, especially when you compare it to the first couple of games of this season. It looks like oh, we're yeah. getting better and more used to it, Ken. So. Yeah, I think that there's fewer areas errors. And you mentioned the one I really want to go back and look at now, the Stone-Clark interaction as somebody likely in the wrong position there. We've, we saw that once earlier in the season against Miami where, where Hamilton was badly out of position in that second game. Uh, but I would agree. I think that they've, they, they are much better. The players on the field now really understand this defense a lot better than the players on the field at the beginning of the year, even though a lot of them are the same guys. And I think if I had to pick one player who's struggling with it or one area, it's on Mike Marcus Peters' side. It's almost like his brain is thinking mm-hmm. faster than the guy can move behind him. Yeah. Um, it's not like he's not reading it. He's reading it great, but he's leaving it early uh, or the other the safety behind him is getting there late, however you want to call it. But overall, they've, they've done a really good job. And, of course, you can play some match zone and man this guy up over here and play zone around him. So uh, a lot of options for Mike McDonald. Um, coming up here but yeah it would be sure would be nice to have someone else other than Kyle to be able to step up whether it be Ardarius or Pepe or or even like uh you know your 
question. Maybe it's Geno Stone that comes in in those situations. And like you said, you played that uh, – I forget the term that you used for it, but basically it would be four safeties on the field, Stone yeah. and Hamilton. That would be a big dime, I think I would call that, the four okay. safety dime. Uh, the only other point I wanted to make about packages and all the information on there and yardage and is, is out there. And I'll, I'm going to make a couple comments here is that the, the Ravens used a lot of extreme packages when it was warranted in this game, when they had third and long, when they had other situations, they said, we're going to go to an extreme package. McDonald put it out there. They played rush nickel and that's one, that's a, a big nickel effectively with three outside linebackers, only one down lineman. They did that twice. Two plays, six yards, so three yards per play. They played two race car nickels. I talked about that earlier. I didn't talk about the success in those plays. Run left for minus one and a sack for minus five. I think we're going to see more race car plays after that. When we first saw the race car showing up in 2018 with Wink, it was only used six times that season. It was like two sacks, a fumble, an interception. It was like all these plays that were that were like, you can't not do this more. <laughs> and right. so I think, you know, they have the players to do it. In fact, they have the extra outside linebacker salivating to play there on the sideline who, you know, it would just make all the sense in the world if you wanted to lean on these packages more. And, and it would be all the more fun. You'd probably play it more than your base defense if you got ahead in some games. And you, and you could just say, you know what? We're going with this defense from the middle of the third quarter on because we got a three-touchdown lead. You try and stop our pass rush. Yeah, that's the Ravens team I want to see, Ken. Yeah, that's yeah, the one I want to see, for sure. <laughs> Had that chance against Miami. It did not uh, It did not work out, to say the least. Going go a little bit more, we played a couple, couple standard dime snaps. Those actually got beat for, for uh, 33 yards. Uh, they were just the last, the first two snaps of the last drive were 17 and 16. It's not, you know, sample size that I'm really excited about relying on a lot. Three plays a rush dime where they had one down lineman, three outside linebackers, one inside linebacker, and a dime there. So I'm glad to see them get that back on the field. That's kind of what I like as a kind of a regular dime package that, that I consider for the Ravens. And then the last snap of the game, they put in seven defensive backs. They were really guarding the sidelines more than anything with Bowser and Houston playing yeah, the sidelines, yeah. not, not wanting anybody to get out of bounds easily for, for about a 15-yard gain. And then they, uh, they were able to, to hold Wilson's to that minimal gain. But, uh, but I thought really good use of packages by McDonald in general in terms of, of being willing to go to more extremes that are more similar to what we've seen Wink do in the past. Very, I agree very much. It was, it was pretty obvious. It seemed pretty obvious when they had the length of the field to go at the end of the game. Uh, you know, there's, there's scramble, that big scramble from Russell Wilson is one of the plays that you're talking about that would just skew that number to where it's not even a matter of effectiveness. It's a matter of what the Ravens were trying to accomplish in that specific game situation. So I agree. It was a nice job by McDonald to mix it up. Uh, uh, great use of their packages there. Seven of the 11 drive-ending plays, so this is also interspersed throughout the game, were extreme package insertions. So it's using dime, it's using this race car nickel, it's using all of these various things, and and uh, just really happy to see them, and happy to see them use it, happy to see them get a really big payoff for it in this game. That's great. That's great. I didn't know that. Yep. All right. Well, we are men of a certain age, so we're going to take a little break here, and uh, we will uh, we'll be back uh, shortly. But uh, Jason, let's talk about where people can talk football with you. Sure. You know, huddle it up films uh, at huddle it up films. I guess I should say on Twitter. Uh, feel free to join. I hope you do. I hope if you're teetering on the line, join. Don't be scared. Follow Ken. Follow me. You'll see some of the great people that we follow, some of Ken Kessel on the show. And, uh, you know, you can keep your timeline small and just follow what you want. And also, please, I would like to enjoy any uh, invite anybody who enjoyed the show 
to come talk football with me on Wednesday nights on YouTube, where I do a live stream from 8.30 p.m. Eastern to 10, about 10.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and you can type in your comment there and I can answer it live and I'll have a panel of guests there that we can toss the ideas. But um, most fun I've had on YouTube, Ken, is to interact with the viewers there and to uh, really get there. They steer the conversation, man. Like I try to write out a show sheet and quite <laughs> often we're, we're just going by whatever we're talking ball for two hours. And it's a beautiful thing. It really is. Yeah, that's I, I appreciate that. I, I, I actually don't really like scri- over scripted shows, even though I tend to give myself a number of talking points to start with. Uh, I find overscripted shows by people who really need to control the narrative directly can often be a, they turn it into a PowerPoint presentation. I really don't like that. But uh, but I've really appreciated the times I've been lucky enough to have been a guest on your show. I've I've really appreciated doing it with you, Jason. It's one of the really fun places. Go talk football. And we need to do more live shows on this space to do what we do that sometimes the timing doesn't work out the speed of, of needing to get this out to market quickly does not work out but but I, I want to do more of what you do in terms of having the fans there listening and a lot of times it's just your most loyal people who come on or sometimes people with a, with an axe to grind that's fine too if they've got some questions and they want to they want to talk about that that's cool uh but uh, but really have appreciated the way you you run that show and that's on wednesday nights yes wednesday nights so i would encourage anybody even if you're too shy to type to come and enjoy that interaction because it's really raw. Um, you know, we preview the next week's game at nine 30, but from uh, eight 30 to nine 30, sometimes we'll take a look at some plays. If I can get those up on the channel uh, without them being copyrighted and other times, man, we're just talking about how we feel about the Ravens right now and, and letting the fans and the viewers drive this, the, uh, the uh, conversation. It's, it's just a wonderful time. Uh, lots of fun. So I, I, we've had Jason, of course, as the big board man for, for the draft. For the last few years, hope we hope we can do that again, Jason. I don't know if you will have other commitments with your own channel now or not, but uh, but we'd love to do the do that show with you again, and uh, have our panel of five or six people uh, to just talk through that whole draft. It is a fun place to watch the NFL draft if you're uh, if you're watching with a group on YouTube. That's when I'll get depressed about not having a second round pick, Ken. So right now I'm enjoying Roquan, but come day two, my favorite day, I'm going to be missing that second round pick. Yeah, and 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 then the, maybe the Ravens trade back for two more fourths or something like that, and uh, it'll it'll be a long it could be a long night that's for certain. Uh, other people out there, if you want to do a film study short, hit me up. Uh, DMs are always up on Twitter. I want to hear your ideas. I'd love to do uh, a show with you, and I always get back to you very quickly. If you've got an idea, I'll, I'll I'll try and get back to you quickly. We'll we'll record quickly and and get your thoughts out there where you're uh, uh, you know you have some tangible thing and your and your friends can listen to it and whatnot. But uh, don't be shy. I, I love to do additional shows. That's what I do. I produce content of this type and interacting with the fans in this way is is just extremely fun. Jason, thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, everybody. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. <laughs> For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.